Welcome to Inspiring Legal, the podcast for in-house legal. Get insights, learn from peers, life lessons from some of the most influential GCs. If it's related to in-house legal, we cover it. For more inspiration, go to openly.com slash community. Welcome back to another episode of Inspiring Legal. So today I am joined by Jonathan and you'll get to hear more from him in a second. But Jonathan is working for Figma, a fast growing, amazing tool. If you ever used it, you know what it is and you know how good it is. But Jonathan also has a background working for tech companies that are growing fast. And today Jonathan is joining me to have a conversation about privacy, expanding into new markets, and how you're managing that when you're working for a company both headquartered out of the US, but also working in Europe. So welcome, Jonathan. Hi, thank you for the warm welcome. I'm delighted to be here. So Jonathan, for the listeners out there that don't know you, um, um, I think they should get to know you a little better. Um, so I was wondering if you could just share a little bit about yourself, um, where you're from and uh, what you do. Sure. Um, so where am I from? I'm based out of London uh, in the UK uh, and have been for some time. Um, and I guess my legal career started in a traditional way. Um, I uh, I worked for uh, a, a, a well-established English firm to do my uh, training contract, which is a two-year kind of training period, which we do in the UK, uh, before qualifying into uh, into a number of uh, US uh, law firms uh, in their London office, um, but headquartered in New York. So I had that exposure to working with US organizations very early on uh, in my career. Um, so uh, I had uh, kind of that insight into working uh, to tight deadlines and to uh, to working with a US centric uh, kind of work culture and uh, kind of the, the pace and uh, uh, the requirements that that entail. So the first US firm I worked for uh, was Millbank, Tweed, Hadley and McCloy. Um, they're one of the big white shoe uh, New York firms. Um, and when I was working for them, we were in the middle of the financial crisis in 2000. And uh, it was the 2008, 2009 financial crisis. Uh, and I joined kind of towards the end of that. And they were actually the official uh, counsel to uh, the Lehman Brothers Chapter 11. So working on really high profile corporate uh, insolvency work uh, as part of their financial restructuring team, which was uh, hugely interesting. Uh, and a lot of new case law was made uh, at the time because obviously a bank of the size and complexity of Lehman Brothers had never gone, uh, uh, gone insolvent before. So uh, hugely interesting project and then delighted to uh, play a very small part in that. Um, subsequently, I realized that kind of in the long term, private practice wasn't really uh, the area for me. Um, I, I am interested in studying new areas of law. I'm interested in a breadth of work, uh, and that doesn't really traditionally tie up with a, with, with a private practice career. Um, so relatively early on in my career, I made the uh, made the move uh, in-house, working for a portfolio technology company, a very small uh, bespoke um uh, software house uh, working in the energy sector and then gradually made my way into um, uh, into the west coast technology scene 
um, where I've kind of been specializing for the last five years, um, helping uh, West Coast, typically uh, headquartered hypergrowth SaaS companies um, expand into the international market. Um, so I've been the first non-US lawyer now the last two organizations I've worked for and the first kind of uh, pair of feet on the ground outside the US. And I'm there to help enable um, that rapid growth into Europe and beyond uh, for these uh, for these companies. And yeah, Figma has uh, has been uh, my home for the last 18 months um, and seen a uh, exceptional pace of growth. Um, we've opened offices in, in uh, London, uh, Berlin, Paris, uh, Tokyo, um, and now Singapore is next on the list during that time. So uh, kind of the we have this phrase that kind of a month in Figma is like a year at other companies because so much so much changes and uh, that's part of the excitement but also presents its own challenges as well i'm normally saying working at a tech scale up is, is kind of like dog years so you're multiplying it by seven here we're multiplying it by 12 and i think it kind of gives a good understanding of the growth of figma and where figma is going um so if you don't know about figma out there take a look um because if you're working at a tech company you are most likely using their products, and if not, most likely going to, uh, especially the product teams and the dev teams are madly in love with it. And I'm not getting commissioned for saying this, <laughs> and I don't use your product, uh, but my dev team does. Um, I am not creative. I'm not able to, to do anything that just resembles something smart uh, when it comes to, to technology. Um, but um, I know from my um, UX designer and from my CPO that they are in love with your product, which was also why we reached out to you, Jonathan, but also because of those challenges and but also exciting times that come with working for such a company. Could you maybe just put a few words on like just during those 18 months that you've been there? How has that journey been so far? Yeah, it's been uh, been hugely exciting. Um, it's come in two phases, really. There's the initial six months where uh, it was just me. Um, so I didn't have a team. Um, so uh, and kind of covering off so many different areas. So primarily new business, negotiating SaaS contracts uh, with with our existing uh, and expanding customers, um, but also kind of doing the corporate foundational work, uh, incorporating entities in, in France and Germany uh, and all of that good stuff and, and helping enable the rapid growth in headcount. Because uh, so we, we were only 50 people in Europe um, and now we're uh, 100 and 50 plus so um, a huge amount of, uh, of growth in terms of personnel but also in terms of revenue as well um, so that first six months I was really doing everything from a, a legal uh, perspective employment as well um, privacy um, it was really fascinating um, but also kind of it, it's, a, it's a challenge on your resources when you're doing all of that so you have to ruthlessly triage and prioritize what uh, is kind of key for the business and turn your attention to it and uh, you're very much kind of doing baseline uh, compliance in some areas and focusing on the real high risk areas um, and putting your time into that so everyone at figma has done it it's kind of the six months uh, initial trial uh, almost where you kind of head of hr did the same um, where you're kind of coming in and you're you're building things just on your own and looking after everything and then you start recruiting and then things become more manageable uh, and then you get to focus on the uh, 
uh, on the kind of the value add uh, and the strategic um, rather than just the tactical. So when you not have only done this once, you've done it twice. Um, I think you are almost a veteran uh, when it comes to really scaling uh, a U.S. company um, into Europe. And one of the challenges that are then I, I could pursue uh, is maybe around privacy and getting that ingrained uh, and and bridging the U, the US with the EU and and working with, with that could you maybe just share a little bit about what have been your experiences and and how have you worked with it yeah um yeah, this is the second time i've done this so before figma um i was at a company called all zero who did identity management uh, and, and a very similar uh, growth trajectory to Figma. And then uh, we, we were acquired by Okta uh, for six and a half billion. Um, so over a couple of years ago now. So this is my second time around, which makes it easier um, because you're following uh, a certain playbook and you, you've seen you've seen things happen once before, but the scale of Figma, I would say, is what makes it so uh, unique, the challenge. We, we're growing at a pace that is, is really quite unprecedented. Um, and the way you speak about the product is fantastic because we have that passion from all of uh, all of our Figma customers and we have a, we're a community-led business like All Zero was. Um, so we kind of, uh, our business strategy was to go in and become popular with designers um, who would then, by word of mouth, almost kind of spread the news about Figma and then generate a huge organic following um, that kind of then flows back up through the business, um, which uh, which is a, is a brilliant way of doing doing business because you, you're, um, you're 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 kind of selling to the people who really use the product on a daily basis rather than top down. Um, so yeah, delighted to hear hear that your team are, uh, are big fans. Um, but yeah, coming back to the privacy question, this is something that is becoming ever since the Schrems two decision. Um, and kind of the death of Privacy Shield. Um, this is uh, this is an area that we're spending a lot of time on with uh, uh, new business uh, negotiations. So almost like duplicating the amounts of uh, time we're spending um, negotiating with customers, because not only are we negotiating uh, the software licensing agreement or the MSA, but then we're also negotiating the terms of the data processing and then the more DPA on top of that. So um, it, it's such a slightly gray area at the moment as well in terms of what is uh, permitted transfer. Um, and hopefully that's going to be addressed soon with the EU and US agreeing some kind of new uh, regime. Uh, I have my fingers crossed that these details will be announced soon. Um, but I'm sure Mr. Schrems will want to challenge that as well. So kind of can't rely on that too much um, because uh, it's got to be tested through the courts. Um, but yeah, this is, this is something that's uh, kind of adding a third to uh, half the time again into into new business negotiations. So, when it when it comes to working with privacy, it's something that is also very close to my heart, and and I know it is to you too. Uh, what I experienced in the early days of GDPR was a big resistance, especially from U.S. companies. Um, due to the fact that GDPR was just super complex and not adding any value, where I'm starting to see now a shift and also seeing that it's something that is used and leveraged in many ways during sales negotiations and sales processes, showing how like the companies are taking GDPR seriously and, and working with privacy. 
What has been your experience um, during your career working both from Auth0 and now also with Figma? Yeah, it's uh, two very different approaches. So Auth0, we had a local deployment option where you could use the Auth0 platform um, off AWS uh, data centers within the EU. And that had all the usual caveats, the kind of like customer support, et cetera, that's outside of that. Um, and we also had a private cloud deployment um, uh, option, um, which you could use um, to give even greater levels of data residency. Um, so if we were we were we, we were pretty flexible in terms of where you wanted to host your data. Um, Figma has traditionally been uh, a US hosted company. So we uh, we uh, currently we only uh, deploy the platform on AWS data centers in the US. Now the difference in approach is that Figma uses very minimal personal data. So whereas all zero, it's stored passwords and uh, uh, kind of yeah critical username and identity data um, where Red data residency was essential in order to do business. Figma is is personal data light in terms of it, it's uh, the functionality. You only really need an email uh, to access the platform, and the rest, as you as your product team will know, your your the materials you create and store in Figma are like visual, their UX, uh, their websites, their uh, their apps. So it's it's a non personal data. Uh, kind of flow uh, and repository, and we don't encourage customers to use it to host large amounts of anything customers. else. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So uh, that's that's how we uh, position um, ourselves from a privacy perspective. Um, that said, we're finding that now, even um, uh, even though it's a very light touch platform from a, a personal data uh, angle, there are still those countries within the EU, and we're seeing actually attitudes uh, uh, can be vastly different even within the European Union, um, depending on the attitudes of the supervisory authorities and the risk uh, appetite of each uh, sector that you're operating in. Uh, the, 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 the data residency is becoming an increasingly uh, uh, important subject uh, for them, and particularly in the regulated sectors like uh, finance and insurance and medical uh, so uh, yeah, that's something we're exploring as a business and looking to potentially uh, uh, make some product announcements uh, in 2023 about this. I know that a lot of our community members are seeing privacy as taking up more and more of their time. Um, so not only is it sales that are driving a lot of cost when it comes to legal resources internally, but it is also privacy uh, in the sales process as well. I think the community reports showed that more than 34% of the members were using more and more time on privacy. And it's something that people are focusing on scaling. So what have you maybe done at Figma uh, coming in and being the first one kind of uh, working out of EMEA and, and building it up from the ground? Uh, so, so how have you gone about that and what has been your primary focus in terms of scaling? It's a, it's a good question. And my, my approach is that I always want the sales team um, to be able to self-serve as much as possible in terms of their legal and privacy resources, because like, resourcing is a is one of the biggest challenges of a, of a hyper-growth company. Um, so giving our sales team first-class privacy materials that have been created by legal 
uh, with conjunction with uh, with privacy professionals as well. So what does that look like? Um, well, for me, the, the priority was reviewing our DPA, making sure it reflected best practice, making sure that we had uh, kind of the supplemental measures uh, required under SHREMS. Uh, and alongside that, providing uh, privacy and data protection, frequently asked questions, FAQs, documents, um, getting that translated into French and German um, so that our sales team could send that out in their first round of correspondence with the customer. So we're already addressing the most commonly raised issues, um, which uh, it doesn't always clear those questions, but what it does is it sets the tone with the customer um, as to where we're kind of answering all the essential questions. Then we can discuss it in more depth and nothing is new um, to the customer. Um, so yeah, giving giving our sales team uh, up to date and, uh, uh, and accurate and, and clearly um, understood uh, kind of privacy documentation um, it, it was a real um, uh, a priority for me. I can mention um, that we've, as part of our platform, have been in communication with Figma about your privacy efforts on behalf of, of, of several customers and received very nice responses. Um, and I personally got a sense that it's something that they are trained in, in a good way. Um, so could you maybe tell a little bit about how have you been internally communicating to the sales teams or educating them or really maybe trying to, to as you said, give them those resources, your FAQs? Uh, because I know that is some, again, something that is, is on the mind of many in-house in because you want to maybe yeah. scale your efforts. And that could also be by educating so people are able to, to, to take on some of the conversations themselves. Yeah, um, c continuous education is something that we do and, and continuous training with the sales team. We work really closely with them and we have regular quarterly um, sessions where we'll be training new joiners. So we have like a new joiner program where they'll be legally certified uh, within a certain amount of time of joining Figma. Um, and then we have regular updates as well. And what we'll do is look at case studies. So talk through um, and it's not just me. I will often partner with a senior sales leader and we'll talk through how we navigated these privacy challenges with a particular customer. Um, typically, kind of Germany uh, is the focus of those because it's a very robust uh, jurisdiction um, and they, we tend to dive into the most detail with our German uh, customers. So we'll walk through, like, how do we address this? How do we navigate issues that don't have necessarily a perfect answer on both sides, given the, the kind of the weird world we live in post Schrems too. Uh, and until that's cleared up, we have to live with that ambiguity. And it's, and that's really key for me is that giving the customer as much information as possible, and then informing them why a tool like Figma is relatively low risk because of the minimal amount of personal data, and then reassuring them that in addition to our privacy measures, like we have our SOC 2, we have our ISO cert certifications as well. So the, the data is secure, um, not just from a privacy perspective, but from a technical perspective. Uh, and I think changing the narrative of the question to kind of point towards security of data where um, where, where we're really, really strong is, is, is helpful as well. Um, because I don't think you can really separate privacy and, uh, and security really um, when it comes down to the fundamentals. Have you seen that uh, getting those certifications have been helpful? Uh, and 
again, I know that it's, it's on the mind of many, um, because often you're asked, so what additional security measures have you taken? And, and, and in terms of the DPA, you're, you're obligated to show that you have appropriate security measures in place. Um, so have the, like, the certifications helped also from a legal standpoint, like made those conversations go smoother? Yeah, no, absolutely. And the, so when you've got someone, we work closely with our security team as well. So often we'll be on uh, a call, it'll be myself, someone in security and, and someone in sales. So we're working as a, uh, as a team. Um, and you, you kind of hear the relief on the customer's uh, end when their security director hears that we have a SOC 2 type 2 report. It just makes everything else seem in context um, uh, uh, less less uh, less of an issue when you know that we are audited uh, and that we have these standards that are certifiable by third parties. Recently, we've just achieved our EU Cloud Code of Conduct certification um, through um, Scope Europe, and I think it's the only approved, officially approved code of conduct uh, recognised by the Belgian uh, Data Protection Authorities. And there's only twenty or so custom like companies who've made that register, uh, and it's a publicly accessible register. Uh, and it's like a self-regulation, so anyone who joins will commit to these common standards. Um, and we're finding that is helping um, build credibility and trust with our European customers as well. For those of you out there, when we're talking about SOC 2, um, that's typically the American security standard mm -hmm. that is used, uh, especially in the US. Uh, a tip of, uh, just a little bit of advice, um, a SOC 2 type 2 is better than a SOC 2 type 1. Um, and that's why when you're hearing that they have a SOC 2 type 2, you know they've been audited. You know they've gotten their approvals and that they're living up to a certain standard. So, so when Jonathan is talking about that, I can easily imagine, and it's also part of the kind of like my own internal like checklist, do I know if they have their security in order? Well, if they have their SOC 2 type 2, well, they're off to a good start. Um, so, so Jonathan, if you were to kind of like put a few words or maybe share a few tricks or tips to the listeners out there, um, what have been some of the best kind of, um, let's call it quick wins for you when it came to privacy and, and getting onboarded with Figma and then having to support the sales teams when it came to privacy? What have been some of the things that have helped you the most, but maybe also gained the most trust internally or like uh, a few kind of like claps on the back and said, great job. Yeah. Um, so quick wins. I think, I think treating privacy and data protection as something that is a prerequisite. We, rather than something that might come up with a customer. So equipping the sales team to deal with it from the start on most of our European deals, because that's, that's how, in reality, that's how it works. It's, uh, it's something that we should proactively address. And that's what I, uh, the message I'm, I've translated uh, to, to our, our sales team as well. Like, don't be afraid of talking about it. And the way that you can, uh, uh, you can address that is by education um, and by providing uh, easily understandable materials in local languages as well. Um, and really helping the, the sales team um, to talk about these things uh, in a more informed way. Um, and I think th th I don't think there are too many easy wins because it is such a complex topic. The easy win for me is just to get me on a call um, because you 
can explain so much more on a call than you can in an exchange of emails. Um, and I think, um, you know, I think a rad radical kind of honesty approach to uh, privacy is like, let the customer know where we host our data, which is in the US, which is not ideal for all of our customers, but explain why we think that isn't a high risk activity, given the nature of the solution, given the minimal personal data and given our really high security standards. Um, so that that's been my approach, like, get 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 me involved as much as possible as early on in those discussions. So it's not coming as a last minute deal blocker. That's where you get issues when people get up against the clock, uh, and the deal has to close tomorrow. And suddenly, you've only started the, the data security, the privacy review that week. Um, so giving it a pr appropriate runway um, and yeah, getting good materials in place. When it then comes to looking forward, where do you see, like, firstly, you said you're hoping for the uh, Biden executive order to hopefully make life a little easier. Um, but what is your then maybe uh, upcoming focus for the next, let's say, six months in, in terms of privacy and and, and um and what you're working on, if you wouldn't mind sharing it? Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful there's going to be some kind of new deal announced by uh, Biden, Amanda Linda, and uh, the a successor to Privacy Shield. But that's I'm a bit skeptical because even if that's announced, we've got to wait for a. There's going to inevitably be an appeal, and that's going to take years to go through uh, the courts unless the EU takes some kind of proactive. Uh, the commission makes a, some proactive statement that um, this, the giving direction to the courts, which I can't see happening. So I think even if there is a, a great new scheme uh, announced, it's still going to take time for that to be tested. So we've got to continue as we are going in the interim. Um, I can see uh, the potential for more localization as well. Um, and then it's like, which parts do you localize uh, of the solution first? Because it's not a copy and paste job, uh, particularly for a product as uh, as sophisticated and, and, and deep as the Figma product. Um, and then there's various elements to it, like I said, customer support. You want to provide customer support on a 24-7 basis, um, but that means you're going to have to have a geographically dispersed customer mm -hmm. support team. Then um, metadata as well, um, which it's about finding out which parts of the the, the data uh, map that customers really care about uh, and then basing our uh, our localization decisions off the back of that so for you when you are looking at the people that are inspiring you are there anyone you could kind of highlight for other people, either to get inspired by or follow on LinkedIn. Um, the community is very much about learning from each other. It's about working smarter and, and really leveraging other people's great ideas. So so who is it that is giving you that inspiration? Yeah, there's so, there's so many uh, LinkedIn kind of celebrities now, um, particularly in the legal operations um, sphere. Um, but I think Alex Sue at Ironclad is someone who always makes me laugh. Um, I love his uh, his memes. I think they're excellent. And having followed a, a similar trajectory, like working for kind of a traditional US law firm and then going in-house, uh, uh, that's quite like the, a lot of the issues that he highlights uh, ring a bell and are uh, relevant to me and my experience as well. So 
he's fantastic from a from a purely like humor uh, uh, and comedy perspective. Um, but also, I, I was fortunate enough to do a a course, a leadership course in corporate council, which was the first kind of post grad course uh, offered in the world for in house counsel at Harvard Law School. Um, that I did about uh, four or five years ago now, and I was fortunate to meet some really inspiring general counsels. Uh, uh, on that course, uh, one of whom is uh, Anna Lazinski, uh, who was the uh, the general counsel for L'Oreal, um, who has subsequently moved on to become uh, a coach for in-house uh, lawyers and written her own book. Uh, and she was a real trailblazer uh, for legal operations, uh, particularly in the APAC uh, uh, area of the world. Um, so yeah, they're, they're two people who, uh, who are active on LinkedIn, who, who are uh, very inspirational for different, uh, different reasons. Um, yeah, also very grateful to, uh, uh, kind of former, uh, uh, general counsel who I've worked under, uh, particularly my first, uh, so in my first move in house, I was in a, from a finance M and a background doing insolvency, financial restructuring work. It took a huge amount of faith to give me my first job in tech. Um, so I'll always be grateful for the very first general counsel I worked for, who was someone called Deborah Morgan, who was actually, and the reason she took that gamble is because she had done a similar thing. She'd gone from being general counsel at Barclays Capital, which was the investment bank uh, at the time, uh, a branch of, of Barclays Bank, and she had gone into the software later on in her career. So I think she saw a similar uh, career path and the core skills that you could translate, but, but generally, that's a pretty difficult jump. Um, so I'll always be eternally grateful for her showing the confidence in me. Uh, and yeah, she was the first female general counsel in the investment bank in uh, in uh, in the UK. Um, and she's uh, yeah, she's a real trailblazer and someone who I still consult for advice. Um, so, with those types of trailblazers, as you said, um, Jonathan, you have been that for us as well. Um, so uh, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your background, your journey and your take on privacy for great companies like Figma. We have been extremely pleased to have you on board the show today. And um, for those of you out there, Jonathan is called Jonathan Keane, and uh, I'm pretty sure you can follow him on LinkedIn too. Um, and uh, I have seen some of his posts and they're quite good. So uh, that's just my little tip of advice. Thank you, Jonathan, for joining us today. Yeah, no problem, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening in to Inspiring Legal. Remember to subscribe. And if you want more information, you can always go to openly.com slash community. That was openly.com slash community.